I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Welcome to this week's episode. First thing I want to do is give a shout out to someone who is allegedly our number one fan. So thanks for listening, Gavin. And tell Carrie I said she has to take you out for ice cream. This week's topic was chosen by one of our loyal lurkers. I've mentioned her before as she travels with me to some of the vendor events that I attend. It's Liz with So Sci-Fi and Beyond. She asked if I would cover this topic because she wanted to know more about it and learn more details of what went on. We're going to be talking about Spring-Heeled Jack. Not a favorite topic of mine, but I'm happy to cover what lurkers ask for, so please send in your topic suggestions. So Spring-Heeled Jack was a figure seen in England. I guess technically it, he, was seen in the UK since he was seen in London, the Midlands, and apparently Scotland. I'm going to say that this could be classified as a cryptid, but could also be considered true crime, kind of like the Mad Gasser in episode 59. The first reported sighting of Spring-Heeled Jack happened in London in 1837. In October 1837, Mary Stevens was visiting her parents in Battersea, She left and began walking to Lavender Hill, where she worked as a servant. On her way through an area called Clapham Common, a strange figure leapt out of a dark alley and grabbed her, holding her tightly in his arms. He began kissing her face while ripping her clothes and touching her skin with his claws. That's right, I said claws. According to Mary... The claws and fingers were cold and clammy, like those of a corpse. Panicked, Mary screamed and her attacker fled from the scene. Several residents heard the commotion and came running to see what was going on. They immediately started a search for the attacker, but they could not find him. The next day, the strange character chose another victim, though this victim was quite different than Mary. Near the area where Mary Stevens lived, Spring-Heeled Jack jumped in the way of a passing carriage, which caused the coachman to lose control, crash, and severely injure himself. Several witnesses said the man escaped by jumping over a nine-foot-high wall while cackling in a high-pitched ringing laughter. (laughs) Reports of the strange man spread, and residents of London neighborhoods began to report strange attacks. The attacks sometimes tended to be more like harassments. Most reports mentioned a ghost, imp, or devil, and some even mentioned a large white bull. The figure mainly attacked women. He would ring the doorbell, and when someone answered the door, he would ravage and rip their clothes with his claws. Other reports said that he simply ambushed people who were out walking. Similar accounts trickled in throughout the rest of the year, with the strange accounts being blamed on assailants in the guise of a ghost, bear, and or a devil. 
Word of this crazy man spread, and the newspapers dubbed him Spring-Heeled Jack because of his tendency of leaping away in a manner no other human could duplicate. The descriptions of Spring-Heeled Jack were all over the place, and so crazy that when the reports made it to the local papers, most of the press was skeptical. And even with the mayor of London addressing the problem in January of 1838 by saying it was nothing more than pranks carried out by wealthy jerks, it didn't stop the legend from growing. In the spring of 1838, Jack seemed to up his game with what would become two of his most well-known attacks. The story is taken from the March 1838 edition of the Weekly Dispatch, found on newspapers.com. The ghost, alias spring Jack, again on Tuesday. Mr. Scales, a respectable butcher, residing in Narrow Street, Limehouse, accompanied by his sister, a young woman, 18 years of age, attended at this office and made the following statement relative to the further gambles of spring Jack. So basically, Mr. Scales and his sister went to the newspaper office to share an account of their encounter with spring Jack. Sometimes the newspapers, well, most of the time the newspapers during this time were very um, flamboyant in their retelling. To continue, Miss Scales stated that as she and her sister were returning from the house of their brother and while passing along Green Dragon Alley, they observed some person standing in an angle in the passage. She was in advance of her sister at the time, and just as she came up to the person, who was enveloped in a long cloak, he spurted a quantity of blue flame right in her face, which deprived her of her sight, and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits, which continued for several hours. Mr. Scales said that on the evening in question, in a few minutes after his sisters had left his house, he heard the loud screams of one of them, and on running up Green Dragon Alley, he found his sister Lucy, who had just given her statement, on the ground in a strong fit, and his other sister endeavoring to hold and support her. She was removed home, and he then heard from his other sister what had happened. She had described the person to be tall, thin, and gentlemanly in appearance, enveloped in a large cloak, and carrying in front of his person a small lamp or bullseye similar to those in possession of the police. Basically, he was carrying a small lantern. On her sister, who was a little before her coming up on the person, he threw open his cloak, exhibited the lamp, and puffed a quantity of flame from his mouth into the face of her sister, who instantly dropped, and such was the effect of the light upon her eyes that she had to cover them with her hands for an instant or two when she went to the assistance of her sister. Mr. Scale remarked that it was not a little singular that one of his sisters had been reading in a newspaper a few minutes before they left his house the account of Spring-Heeled Jack, when he remarked that it was not likely that this personage would come to his neighborhood from the fact that there being so many butchers residing in it. Mr. Scales then handed in a certificate which read, This is to certify that on Wednesday the 28th of February, I visited Lucy Scales of Weeks Place, Limehouse, who was suffering from hysterics and great agitation, 
in all probability the result of fright. Charles Pritchard, surgeon. A respectable female who said she was attracted to the spot by the screams of Miss Scales corroborated her statement as to her being on the ground in a strong fit. Mr. Hardwick remarked that this that the description given by the parties of the individual favored the opinion that those disgraceful outrages were committed by the same individual and not by several. Then, in the beginning of March 1838, Spring-Heeled Jack struck again. Now, I do want to point out, according to the newspaper articles, Miss Scales was attacked, and then this next attack happened but in some of the other research, it has them flip-flopped. Either way, they both happened end of February, beginning of March. So this article is also from 1838 and detailed this next encounter. Miss Jane Alsup, a young lady of 18 years of age, stated that at about a quarter to nine o'clock on the previous night, she heard a violent ringing at the gate in front of the house. And on going to the door to see what was the matter, she saw a man standing outside. She inquired what was the matter and requested he would not ring so loud. The person instantly replied that he was a policeman and said, For God's sake, bring me a light, for we have caught Spring-Heeled Jack here in the lane. She returned into the house and brought a candle and handed it to the person who appeared enveloped in a large cloak and whom she at first really believed to be a policeman. The instant she had done so, however, he threw off his outer garment, and applying the lighted candle to his breast, presented a most hideous and frightful appearance, and vomited forth a quantity of blue and white flame from his mouth, and his eyes resembled red balls of fire. From the hasty glance which her fright enabled her to get at his person, she observed that he wore a large helmet, and his dress, which appeared to fit him very tight, seemed to her to resemble white oilskin. Without uttering a sentence, he darted at her, and catching her partly by her dress and the back part of her neck, placed her head under one of his arms, and commenced tearing her gown with his claws, which she was certain were some metallic substance. She screamed out as loud as she could for assistance, and by considerable exertion got away from him, and ran towards the house to get in. Her assailant, however, followed her and caught her on the steps leading to the hall door, and when he again used considerable violence, tore her neck and arms with his claws, as well as a quantity of hair from her head, but she was at length rescued from his grasp by one of her sisters. Miss Alsop added that she had suffered considerably all night from the shock she had sustained, and was then in extreme pain, both from the injury done to her arm and the wounds and scratches inflicted by the miscreant about her shoulders and neck with his claws or hands. Miss Mary Alsop, a younger sister, said that on hearing the screams of her sister Jane, she went to the door and saw a figure, as above described, ill-using her sister. She was so alarmed at his appearance that she was afraid to approach or render any assistance. Mrs. Harrison, who is the oldest sister, said that hearing the screams of both of her sisters, first of Jane and then of Mary, she ran to the door and found the person before described in the act of dragging her sister Jane down the stone steps from the door with considerable violence. She, Mrs. Harrison, 
got hold of her sister, and by some means or other, which she could scarcely describe, succeeded in getting her inside the door and closing it. At this time, her sister's dress was nearly torn off of her, both combs dragged out of her head, as well as a quantity of her hair torn away. The fellow, notwithstanding the outrage he had committed, knocked loudly two or three times at the door, and it was only on their calling loudly for the police from the upper windows that he left the place. Mr. Alsop, Jane's father, who appears very feeble, said that he and Mrs. Alsop had been laid up for several weeks past with a rheumatic affection so as to be scarcely able to get out of bed. But such was the alarm on the night before that they both got out of bed and he managed to get downstairs and found his daughter Jane with her clothes torn and having all the appearance of receiving the most serious personal violence. Mr. Alsop also said it was perfectly clear that there was more than one ruffian connected with the outrage, as the fellow who committed the violence did not return for his cloak, but scampered across the field so that there must have been some person with him to pick it up. In conclusion, Mr. Alsop said he would most willingly give a reward of ten guineas for the apprehension of the miscreant. The officer investigating said that based on their investigation, there was no doubt that the person or subject had been in the neighborhood for a month, frightening both men and women, and was once nearly caught. He had been seen walking around the lanes and alleys and other secluded areas, wearing a large Spanish cloak, and sometimes carried a small lantern. Police were satisfied with Alsop's account, since the whole family had the same story and description. Police believed there was only one person involved in the attack, not two as Mr. Alsop believed. So in my opinion, it seems like these attacks started out innocent enough, not really innocent, but more intent on scaring whoever could be scared, man, woman, or child. But with these most recent accounts, the perpetrator keeps escalating. What exactly was his intent with Jane Alsop? Some accounts actually mention that she was being choked. After the attacks of Lucy Scales and Jane Alsop, Springheeled Jack attacked again. This time it was at 5 a.m. on a Saturday in March, and the victim was a 13-year-old boy. The boy was attaching his employer's horse to the cart in order to go to market. When he turned, he saw two very tall men, enveloped in cloaks, standing in front of him. Their arms were raised and stretched out and their faces were smeared with red ochre or brick dust. The boy was certain these men were Spring-Heeled Jack family. He screamed loudly and then fainted. He was found and taken home, and had to stay in bed for some time. At this point, the popular image of Spring-Heeled Jack as a gentlemanly devil figure came to the forefront, and after his attacks in 1838, he became a popular boogeyman across England. He became a character in many penny dreadfuls, many of which were titled Spring-Heeled Jack, the Terror of London, where he was portrayed as everything from a jilted brigand to a supernatural menace. All of these portrayals cemented his boogeyman status. Parents would tell stories of the jumping devil to scare their kids into submission. Mysterious unsolved crimes would be attributed to Jack by sensationalist reporters looking to sell papers. Eyewitness reports of Spring-Heeled Jack continued popping up all over the country. 
copycat attackers were captured here and there, trying to take advantage of the legend. In April 1838, an 18-year-old boy was charged for scaring one of the town's residents by dressing in a sheet, pretending to be a ghost. The news described his getup as ghostly-looking figure habited in a white sheet wearing a hideous mask. The woman he tried to scare recognized the boy's voice, and he was arrested. She made an official complaint, and he was charged and given a fine of four pounds. But he was not believed to be the perpetrator of the serious Springheel Jack attacks. In April of 1841, there were more attacks in Camden Town. Women were afraid to leave their houses because of a tall man wearing a large blue cloak with glasses of a dark color over his eyes, which gave him a most awful appearance. He stalked the area of the neighborhood of King's Road, Camden Town. On the appearance of any male, he would hide in another doorway, hiding until the man passed. He would stay hidden until he saw a woman, then he jumped from his hiding place and assaulted his victim in the most shameful and indelicate manner, if you get my meaning. Most of his attacks occurred in College Grove, which was dark and badly paved, turning very narrow and without lights. He would jump from his hiding place, stretch his arms to make his cloak look like giant wings, and envelop the woman in the cloak, and then commit the most disgusting assault upon her. One woman was attacked by him and fought and got away. A young girl was attacked and remained in poor health. There were several other attacks as well. The more Spring-Heeled Jack's fame grew, the less frequently reports about him were made until 1843, when a new wave of sightings swept the country. That's when attacks on carriage drivers became much more common. In July of 1847, a Spring-Heeled Jack investigation in Devon led to a man named Captain Finch getting arrested. He was convicted of assaulting two women while wearing a skin coat which looked like a bull's hide, a skull cap, horns, and a mask. Jack also made a series of appearances at the Aldershot military base where he harassed and terrorized sentry guards. A sentry noticed a strange figure in the darkness who sprang onto the roof of the sentry box and ended up slapping the sentry in the face. When the guard shot at the figure, there was no visible effect. Then the figure disappeared into the darkness with long leaps. After the spring-heeled jack sighting at, Al at Aldershot, sentries were given ammunition and ordered to shoot the figure on sight if it ever appeared again, and traps were set to capture the fiend. But he never showed himself again. In 1872, a highly respected gentleman saw a figure dressed in white leap from the side of the road and stand in front of him. The man was alarmed and stumbled back, raising his walking stick. The ghost remained a few seconds and then, at a single bound, went off about a dozen yards along the street and was out of sight as quickly as he appeared. It was a very tall figure draped head to foot in white. The face was clear, as if covered with phosphorescent substance, but the features were undistinguishable. There was a boy who was afraid to walk home because he had seen the ghost that looked like a tall man dressed all in white and walking around calmly. It was believed that the perpetrator was a man with springs in his boots, who carried white material that was six feet in length, 
on which a head was attached, so that a man 10 to 12 feet in height is portrayed. In 1877, Springheel Jack appeared in Newport Arch in Lincoln, Lincolnshire, in a sheepskin. An angry mob chased him and shot at him with no effect. Spring-heeled Jack just laughed and bounded away, leaping over fences and even small buildings. In 1904, he was seen in Liverpool, jumping up and down the streets, leaping from cobblestones to rooftops and back. Some men tried to corner him, but he vanished, and he hasn't been seen again. So from 1838 to 1904, the Spring-heeled Jack was seen throughout the UK. He was always said to be tall and thin and with the appearance of a, of a gentleman. He was seen wearing many different outfits. In the beginning, he wore animal skins that made him look like a bull or a bear, and then he progressed to the tight white oil skin with a helmet and metallic claws and an ability to vomit blue flame. He often wore a cloak and sometimes wore goggles. No one was ever captured, though there was a consensus about who was responsible for at least some of the attacks. The Marquis of Waterford, Henry Beresford, was an Irish nobleman with a sadistic taste in practical jokes and a scorn for women. He became the Marquis at a young age when his father died. His mother was also dead, so he was a young teen with a lot of money, a little power, and no parental guidance. He traveled to America at one point where he got into trouble and continued to get in trouble after he was home. The phrase paint the town red comes from a time when he and his friends painted the swan on a pub sign red as a prank. It's thought that the idea of spring Jack came from a humiliating experience the Marquis had involving a woman and a policeman and that he thought up the prank to get even by proxy. He was known to have friends who studied applied mechanics who could have made spring-loaded boots. There was also speculation that he could have learned the art of fire-eating to produce the flame. He was also in the area when many of the attacks happened. And there was a servant boy who scared away Spring-Heeled Jack, and as Jack was running away, the boy saw a crest on his clothing with the letter W. Though I believe the Marquis of Waterford is most likely responsible for the earlier Spring-Heeled Jack sightings, he can't be responsible for all of them. He died in 1859 in a horse-riding accident. But it was always thought that his buddies were part of the prank, explaining sighting the two Jacks in the one account with the boy hooking up the horse and cart. I also believe the escalation points to more than one person. The first accounts were simply attempts at scaring people, then moved to physically assaulting women, and then assaulting them sexually in 1841, then went back to more of a simple prank. I also looked into what can turn a flame a blue color. Butane was mentioned, but that wasn't discovered until 1912. Copper can make blue-colored flame, and aluminum can create white flame, but I'm unsure of exactly how that would happen in the world of fire-eating. If anybody out there happens to be a fire eater or knows one, let me know how that might be created. So that's going to do it for this episode. As always, you can find Lurk wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at lurkpodcast.com where you can find all of our episodes along with links to our social media accounts. We have merch at lurkpodcastmerch.com if you're interested in supporting the show and getting a pretty cool t-shirt. And if you like what you hear, 
tell your friends, or possibly consider giving us a five-star review. And thank you to those who have taken the time to give us reviews. I actually was just on Apple iTunes checking those out, so thank you very much. I do read them. And until next time, keep lurking. Mm-hmm.